Ethan's log, start date, 69.69.69. I didn't get any further into the thinking out this cold open than that joke. That was all I had, folks. I've got faith, I'm so. Nothing's gonna burn, don't break me. I've got strength, that you believe. Dirty, 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 butt rock. Hey, Captain. It's coming from the engine room. The sexiest song in all of Star Trek. I love. So just, I'm gonna peel the curtain back for the audience. We were all like, "Does anyone have a cold open?" And we all went, <laughs> "We all just did the shitty ideas we had for cold open." It's fucked because they all kind of fit together. Like they're all sort of along a similar theme. But they're all bad. Yeah, it's a classic, like, TOS Star Trek cold open. We have the captain giving their log, and then suddenly just some kind of space magic happens. And literally, in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, they all just start singing for some reason. Really? That owns. It's so good. Oh my god. Uh, Amber, I'm going to send you some links to some of the songs. Uh, Gregory Peck, who plays New Spock, is so hot. And his singing voice is so smooth, it is like Vulcan chocolate. Speaking I'm not going to watch them chocolate. while we're on air, but... <laughs> I didn't actually have a good transition. I was just going to be like, ah, the, the, the nigga Spock from, from Voyager. <laughs> what? That's yeah, right, this Spock got a fade. <laughs> that fucking five-head-ass nigga. <laughs> Big-ass fucking forehead and his elf ears. <laughs> Anyways, what is this podcast? I'm glad I asked myself so I can answer the question. This is original podcast Do Not Steal, a podcast where in every week Amber Autumn and I, and occasionally a guest, discuss a certain topic at length and create an original character within that space. And this is the conclusion of our Star Trek trilogy. So we'll see you, the audience, have been listening to Amber and I's takes on Star Trek. You generally know that we're secondhand Star Trek fans, sort of very casual. The interest of this is more so bringing on a guest who has their own unique vision and take on Star Trek and to introduce guests to you, we love to ask them what is one thing you think is underrated and what is one thing you think is overrated. So Isaac, introduce yourself to the audience. Hi there. Uh, I'm Grinning Isaac. Um, you can call me Grin for the sake of like an internet cool name or Isaac. I respond to either he, him pronouns. Uh, I am what is called a holistic journalist in that I am a liar who makes things up and makes up fake news reports from an uh, alternate dimension of the future where uh, the Americas are a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Anyway, um, so yeah, Star Trek. I love Star Trek. I've known Star Trek for my entire life. My dad was born in 1955, so he was like 11 when the first series came out. Watched that with my mom through the 80s. I grew up watching, like, old TNG episodes. Uh, my first, like, Trek series was Star Trek Enterprise, which has the best Star Trek uh, theme in the world, and that is why it is my underrated pick. And then underrated or overrated is um, Paramount Plus's uh, video player. It fucking sucks. I was trying to listen, or I was trying to watch Star Trek while I was putting away clothes uh, in preparation for this podcast, dear listeners, and my god, it kept on freezing every 30 fucking seconds. 
And it's like, oh, this video's not available. No, it is. You're just... You're terrible, and you won't let me get to, like, an, a men, uh, an episode menu from the episode I'm watching. What is this, 2006? Get dunked on Paramount+. Plus. So, um, uh, it's our, it's, it's, it's the third concluding episode of our, um, Star Trek series. We can now never, ever talk about Star Trek ever again. Um, uh, she lied lyingly. Um, so the thing that we usually start this episodes on is that we tend to, um, obviously Devin and I have talked about Star Trek a couple of times already. Um, uh, and so the thing that is making this episode distinct from the other Star Trek episodes is you, our guest. Um, and so I kind of want to start by, um... Uh, talking through, you know, you talked a little bit about what Star Trek you had watched. I would like to know, like, sort of what makes Trek meaningful to you, or what do you think is interesting about it? What makes it an interesting property? Oh, what makes it an interesting property is uh, the fact that they're living in a socialist egalitarian utopia. I'm a huge fucking communist, and I'm like, yes, let's just redistribute the wealth a little bit more evenly. I know that y'all have figured out, like, warp travel and how to create clothes and uh, food out of literally thin air by rearranging particles, but dear God, I want to start moving towards the fucking Star Trek future, because I'm, I'm tired of this shit. Yeah, we've talked a little bit on on um, the pod before, in the last couple episodes, about um, the utopianism of Star Trek and how much it, like, is or is not a utopia, and for whom it is a utopia. Um, and I think this is the first time we've had someone like full-throated be like, no, it is a utopia. I would like to be there. It's better than how it is now. Um, dear God. So I'm like, I'm wondering if there's anything specific about that vision of the future that is like, especially compelling for you. Like, is it the socialism element? Is it the technological element? It's, it's both. It is, it is both the socialist aspect of I don't have to pay for my morning coffee and I am doing labor in service of the good of, like, the collective. Also, the fact that, like, yes, cyborgs exist and phaser guns are objectively better than, you know, ballistic firearms because they prevent 100% of accidental fate... Not 100%, but they usually decrease accidental fatalities and then uh, it's also the adventure aspect because Star Trek is such, it's so grounded in uh, two genres, especially aside from sci-fi, and that's the Western, like um, Gene Roddenberry described it as a wagon train to the stars, you know, this, this final frontier, this uh, age of exploration. And then uh, TNG was more rooted in the, uh, what TV Tropes calls the, uh, era of wooden ships and iron men, you know, just these very stern, brave officers uh, upholding righteous ideals and having moral quandaries about uh, the permutations that a very well-intentioned doctrine uh, can bring. And of course, uh, Star Trek has explored, like, what you call it, the uh, ramifications of this in DS9, you know, it's certainly not a utopia for everyone, especially since fucking Picard ruined everything. I, I, but yeah, no, I, I would love to be working towards like, 
exploration and, you know, out there and seeing the world and shit like that. It's just, you know, I gotta pay bills and I can't move to Cape Canaveral. So you, you, you asked me before going on air, what was my favorite Star Trek series? And I said original series. Um, do you have a favorite, do you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's one of the newer series because I'm a Trek fan that actively likes uh, new Trek, um, some new Trek, but it's Lower Decks, the most recent animated Star Trek show. What do you like about it? Sell me on Lower Decks. I haven't seen Lower Decks. I don't know anything about Lower Decks. All right. Where give, do me you... your, give me your pitch. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to give you like an overview of where we're set and then the characters and then i'm going to give you why why i genuinely like it so it's set in 2380 which for those of you who aren't looking at a timeline like i am it's after the next generation you know it's after um uh, voyager it's after deep space nine it's after all of the movies including fucking nemesis which some Trek needs to be forgotten, and Nemesis is among it. But it takes place in a weird period for Star Trek, because it's always been analogous to uh, real-world conflicts. So, you know, TOS is very steeped in the Cold War, and TNG was steeped in kind of, like, post-Cold War, you know, uh, the f- how do we deal with Russia now kind of thing. But Lower Decks takes place in peacetime. It takes place in a period where we're seeing real advancements in, like, uh, different cultures. Like, uh, the Ferengi recently joined the Federation in the most recent episode. And that's huge because the Federation is a big old socialist fuckfest. And the Ferengi love money more than their mothers, typically. So, Star Trek Lower Decks takes place... uh, or it centers around the crew of the USS Cerritos. They are not a, like, top-of-the-line ship. They're not an exploration ship. Um, they are, like, a smaller ship. They handle second contact, which is a lot of, like, oh, we go down to the planet, we see what the best uh, places to eat and drink are, we, like, finalize the paperwork, you know, we check in and make sure that the locals are good. So, if it centers around not the command crew of this ship, as opposed to, like, every other Star Trek series, but it focuses around a group of four uh, ensigns. And I think that's really cool, because it's an expansion on a, uh, a previous TNG episode called Lower Decks. Uh, so, your four characters are Beckett Mariner. She's this hot-headed rebel. Uh, she's... Um, She's the captain's daughter, but she doesn't want anyone to know about it. And so she's kind of like this hard-drinking, tough girl that knows mm, several martial arts. She takes no prisoners. She kicks ass. uh, She's bisexual as fuck because it's the future. The next character is Bradward Boimler. Um, Have either of you ever seen Red Dwarf? No. Bits and pieces. Alright, so Brad Boimler is... He is a tight anus, uh, by-the-books ensign who loves to quote rules and follow orders and be like... Uh, is he the purple-haired one with autism? Yeah, he's the purple-haired one that's always screaming and he has... Yeah, he has autism. He's fantastic. 
Uh, he's played by the guy who also plays Huey on The Boys, and his entire existence is to be just run through the ringer of Star Trek shit. Like, this man has been beaten up, his girlfriend was secretly uh, influenced by an alien parasite, uh, he died in the most recent season, but it's fine because, you know, in Star Trek, everyone comes back from the dead. He's He's fantastic. The next up is Devon Attendee. She is a medical and science officer. She's kind of an audience surrogate in that she is really excited to be on a spaceship. She kind of acts like how I feel a lot of Star Trek fans would act while being on a spaceship. She's just really happy to be there out in space discovering stuff and making uh, science experiments. And she just believes in it and she's very fun. She's also the first main Orion character that the show's ever had, um, which we can talk more about. Well, do either of you know uh, what the Orions are in Star Trek? Orion Slave Girl, which is unfortunate because it only happened in the one episode and then it kind of became the entire cultural like understanding of what Orions are. Kind of like Twi'leks? Yes, they, they're just Twi'leks, but without the, uh, the tendrils, the head tendrils. Uh, they're all green. Um, Fun fact, it, huh? the actress who played the Ryan girl in the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie is the same actress who played the Baroness in the G.I. Joe live-action movie. <laughs> Damn, Devin, that fact is so fun. I'm full of them. Please go on, Isaac. You're, you're good. Uh, blah, blah. Uh, but yeah, Orions, you know, they get like little to no character uh little to no character outside of just being sex objects like Devin was saying the JJ Abrams girl she's a throwaway gag for like people that saw that one episode of TOS and then in Enterprise they revealed that it's a matriarchal society where the uh the women all have hormones that they use to control the men and they're all pirates and um, it's really cool to have an Orion character to kind of explore that and subvert it. Uh, and then the last character is uh, Samantha Rutherford. He is a human cyborg. He has like a, a Vulcan cybernetic implant. Uh, he's the engineer, so he just really loves like crawling around in Jeffrey's tubes and like fixing shit on the ship. He's just, like, this big, like, absent-minded, kind of, like, gadget dude who just... He's he's also just so much fun. A lot of these characters are just, like, little... Or these two are just, like, little rays of sh sunshine. You know, they act like how someone like me would act upon being on a ship. I would be like, yes, I want to I wanna do this. I want to... You know? I'm just happy. These characters sound infectious, and I want to spend 30 minutes with them once a week. So you, you're a big fan of this show. It sounds to me like it's partly because of the sort of bottom-up perspective on it. Like, you're really interested in the in the socialism elements of Trek. And you. it sounds to me like you're interested in, um, uh, like, the stories that talk about um, the, like, less, you know, uh, important in charge of anything people and more like the regular workers. Is that is that an accurate Absolutely. statement? Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. The Carthonassies of Star Trek. You and your Carthonassie. Fucking Carth... Good. I... 
Ugh, fuck, and I need to replay KOTOR. Amber, when are we doing Cartho the KOTOR nasty, episode? nasty more like Cartho nasty. Nasty, nasty he's not, No, he's not interesting <laughs> enough to be nasty. <laughs> he's, he's super not. Um, uh, we can, we can do Star Wars month again in 2024, I promise. Um, so, uh, it seems to me then, so the, the way that we've been, um, sort of organizing these Star Trek episodes, every one of the episodes has, is, is themed around a certain kind of Star Trek character. So the first one we did, a, like, an Alien of the Week sort of a character, and then the second one, we did a, like, recurring love interest sort of a character, right? These, these, these like, stock sort of archetypes that repeat on, on Star Trek shows. Um, and I think that it's, it, from what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like the place to go here would be, like, um, the Ensign character, you know, the Yeoman character, or... I don't know, a character who in some ways is is trivialized by the rest of the narrative. Like, that's the kind of character it feels like we're leaning towards here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Star Trek is best when it's focusing on, like, people. That's what Deep Space Nine does really well. Could I make a suggestion for uh, sake of diversity in this character? So, one thing Star Trek does really well... um, is over the course of the series as it continues to go on because it is an optimistic expression of the future. We don't, like, defeat enemies by killing them all. We slowly incorporate them into the utopia we've created, right? You meet blackface Klingons in the original series, and then they get to be a part of the crew in the next generation. Oh, that's fun. You meet the Borg and Ferengi in Next Generation. Come DS9, you got a main cast who's a Ferengi. And come Voyager, you got even a member of the Borg who's a member of the crew. So slowly over the course of the time, like, villain races, air quotes, get folded in. So I think it would be cool to take a classic Star Trek villain character and then make them a main cast member in Below Decks. By character, you mean like a a, a villain species, right? A a villain culture? Yeah. So who are are our major, um, most interesting Star Trek villain cultures that we can draw upon, right? It seems like Borg... And Klingon and Ferengi, like all of these, like most common ones, have already been, um, uh, like reappropriated into, like protagonist status. Um, are there any other like villain type figures who haven't gotten that treatment, who are who are important in the lore in some way? Yeah, um, I mean, you got Cardassians who. Cardassians and Romulans are like the two big ones that they keep on going back to and like you could but like I don't know it's it it in universe it hasn't been that long since Cardassians killed a lot of people in the Dominion War um so maybe like a Romulan character I'm sort of surprised to hear that Romulans haven't gotten that treatment already because I think of Romulans as being like like one of the or Star Trek villain types right you've got like like klingons are your original series and then um you go to next generation and, and it's romulans right as then as the next one yeah that's that's true they haven't gotten any kind of love oh man even cardassians so, have Carrick. so as as you know someone who has watched more star trek than than i have and knows more about star trek than i do um talk to me about romulans what what's romulans deal what makes them interesting um 
the the best way that I've ever heard Romulans described is that uh, they're dark space elves. Uh, they love back. They love backstabbing each other. I forget like what their ranks are, but they all wear like big gray and silver vests with like huge shoulder pads. Uh, they've all got kind of like the Vulcan haircut because they're like a a sub race of Vulcans. So to be clear, are we are we in fact making Drizzt then? We might be making, um, this might just be Star Trek Driz. <laughs> oh, one of the good ones. I got it. Yeah, one of the, <laughs> um, uh, we, you know, we, we can, if we want to try to make an effort over the course of the episode to try to avoid doing Driz. Cause like, like the, the, for any listeners who are not clued in on the joke already, the, there's like, like the idea of a dark elf, um, is like. Is high key uh, racist. Is is high key racist, yeah, and uh, like has a really long and storied like fantasy history um, of uh, being a racist thing, and also like a, a racist thing that is like very attractive for a lot of writers, uh, and and particularly uh, like a lot of writers who are not necessarily as good because it gives you an opportunity to. Um, make a character who exists in this entire culture of dark and brooding emo boys, and you get to have one who is haunted by his dark and brooding emo boy past, um, but has like a secret heart of gold sort of a situation. Um, uh, which is why, like, you refer to Drizzt, and like, that's like the the um, archetypal example of that, is like the the, the one who typifies the, the device, the, the, the character, the stock character of it. In a, in a series of R.A. Salvatore books. And so, um, uh, what we, uh, like, I think one of, the, one, of the, one of the problems that we immediately encounter here is that, like, if Romulans are, like, dark elves, we're in a situation where we don't want to make a character who is a racist, and, and we're fighting against, like, the this, this series of Star Trek itself, which has already created, like, an entire like, culture of people who are the bad guys. And so how do we take a character from that culture and make them a protagonist without doing the, like, oh, this character is one of the good ones sort of a thing? So I think what you would do is... So I'm going to take a take from one of my favorite YouTube channels, The Take. But when they tried to make a case for Slytherin House, uh, not about it's not all Nazis... There are things about Slytherin House that in our real-world analog, you would like. Iron Man is probably a Slytherin when you think about it. So I think you take what makes Romulans Romulans, and you go, well, putting into a different context, there are some admirable traits here. And you don't have the one whoops go against the grain. You actually have one who goes against the grain, but just being provided a different opportunity for his skill set and like uh, things from his cultural background that make him good at doing X. Uh, give that a place to shine, and then also, you know, just like some some friends. You get you get to, you get to have friends on the on the new crew and experience new culture and maybe change a little bit. Cause I could be wrong, but isn't the thing with Romulans just like they're all emotion? Let's see here. I'm looking up their whole deal because physiology, point of views. God, Star Trek is so fucking big. It's so fucking big. It's it's just so much. I understand why people are intimidated by this series. If I hadn't been 
if I hadn't been fucking trained from birth to fucking know Star Trek inside and out, I, I wouldn't get it. Um, in Romulan society, military and political rank influences social standing, uh, militaristic civilization, their own personal honor of foremost impor- uh, importance, military service, and its accompanying rank were decisive factors in determining social eminence. So they're, they're space Romans. Okay, so here's my first pitch then, um, which I, I think will synergize well with the things that interest you about the series. Um, is So you have this culture that's extremely militaristic, right? And has a lot of value placed on military. And, you know, if you want to make the argument that it's like, oh... Uh, it, uh, like, this is all a very um, a social problem, it's a political problem, it's not like an essentialist problem, and as Devin's proposing, we have, like, a character who is coming to, um, uh, like, like a, uh, through interaction with the Federation, grow a, uh, a greater understanding of, of the Federation and its values. Um, my proposal is that our character um, is a Romulan child. You have... Uh, the character be a kid who, for some reason, um, uh, comes to be, uh, like, adopted by the Federation. Uh, either they're, like, rejected by their Romulan parents, or they're orphaned, or, um, for some reason, they end up with the Federation. And so you end up with this character who is Romulan by birth, um, but who is raised in, uh, the, like, social context of Starfleet. And we get to see how that affects the person that they end up being. And then you get the advantage of, like, making a character who is, like, exploring Star Trek from a perspective that we don't get a lot of, a more marginalized perspective, that of a child. Um, and I think there's a lot of interesting stories to be told there. You know, we, you kind of have, like, a, a rhyme with Wesley there, uh, but, like, exploring some, like, slightly different questions than Wesley gets to have. Yeah, it that and it's got kind of like wharf undertones with him be or with the the orphan being a uh, a child from a militaristic warrior culture that's been raised by someone that's not his own. So we can explore like ideas of uh, not knowing your identity, or maybe they're overcompensating for their identity by really embracing uh, their. <sighs> special heritage that's a real common theme in uh star trek that's really interesting too because it's like like we would say there's a lot of things about romulans that we like don't like but here we have maybe an opportunity for this like character who wants to feel a connection with their with their special heritage as you say um to uh like try to find and show us elements of like romulan culture that um we we could admire so would like to point out that they're literally called Romulans because uh, they're fucking space Rom- <laughs> Romans. I love it when authors are like, fuck, I'm out of ideas. Where do the bad people live? Mount Doom. But I found it. Under the culture, it's like uh, Romulans consider themselves a passionate people. They love deeply. And I go, oh, you do the thing I've always wanted done with Sith where like their power is based on the fact that they give a shit. And yeah, Romulans' whole thing is like, they didn't have the strange mental discipline that turns Vulcans into fucking robot people. They just care 
a lot. They're passionate first people, and I think that is admirable. And so there is a part of his culture that is worth something and shouldn't just be vilified, and you just, through the innocence of a child, uh, are afforded that opportunity, right? He's he's not just an in to, like, a new view of, like, the Federation. He's the Federation's in to a new view of Romulans. And you get to, like, do the thing, then, where you have a kid who becomes, like, maybe the moral voice, right? You have, like, um, uh, like, this kid obviously wants to do some uh, uh, advocate work for other people in the show or, or wants to, like, have a strong voice in, like, ethical questions that come up because, uh, like, this is a kid who represents the point of view that, like, Actually, we don't necessarily know what point of view that this kid represents yet, but what we do know is that they, they care very deeply about it and um, uh, that they want to... Uh, they're, they're very likely to advocate very strongly for their point of view. And so you can have them as, like, the child character who offers moral guidance, moral guidance in, a, in a, like a, like a, like a period of confusion. Um, but you instead of it just being like, oh this child is randomly acting in a way that no child gets to ever act in real life, you get to say, oh, this child is acting like this because um, they are, like, predisposed by virtue of being a Romulan to um, uh, caring deeply about, like, ethical issues, etc. And then my next question, then, if we take that route, is what are they doing with with lower decks what's like their position how does a child end up working here or or if not working involved somehow we've come across the question that star trek writers throughout all of history have run into space logistics do you say face logistics space logistics so it feels weird for them to just like having have joined starfleet there's a there's an episode of TNG where the Federation finds out that someone is half human, half Romulan. Um, like he had a Romulan grandfather, and there is a huge trial about it. And that takes place 13 years before. So it, it feels weird that this child would be would be joining Starfleet. Maybe they're like I, I almost so want to say if... maybe they're like a villain of the week or something. That seems derivative, though. I think this child did not join Starfleet, but fought very hard to become an ambassador. I think is here of own volition. I think actively worked to be here and uh, is a voice for Romulans across the galaxy. And I think this kid has a dream um, that one day... <laughs> I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop this bit. <laughs> But, but all the things I said before this bit that is going nowhere good. I, 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 I like this idea. Let me tweak it slightly because I think that having the kid be there because they specifically want to do ambassadorial work on behalf of Romulus is um, uh, really good and really interesting. And I also don't think that Starfleet would be like, yes, child. Uh, be our be our working ambassador, um, and so I think this is a situation where the kid is not yet currently employed by Starfleet, and they join our cast because they are trying to become the ambassador. They're like, if I just show up and do the work 
they will hire me even though I am a child. And of course that's not going to happen because Starfleet is not going to employ a child to do like military ambassadorship work. Um, uh, but the kid is here because they have a dream and they, um, uh, they really believe in it and they really care about it. And so they will stow away, they will hang out on the deck, they will be here off hours um, to do the ambassadorial work, even as like the official channels um, keep being like, hey kid, cut it out. But they're not going to cut it out because they care, because they give a shit. And may I further one up, I think, because Lower Decks is, is a, bit, a bit of a comedy. It's a bit funnier. It, it sometimes takes the piss out of Star Trek. I think his introductory episode, he tricks the main cast of Lower Decks into 100% buying that he is an ambassador. And the joke at the end is that he's not. He's just a kid. Yeah, I like that. That's really funny, yeah. And now if I may vamp for a moment about Star Trek, my mother... Uh, Spock and mixed kid feelings. Um, but part of the reason Spock is such an icon is because his, like, struggle uh, was very easily stamped on to what a lot of kids in the 60s were feeling about sort of dual identity and dual allegiance. But to me specifically, as a mixed kid, uh, the best thing I've ever heard about, like, mixed kid feels in media, it comes from a line of Balto. In fucking Balto, Jesus Christ. But at some point during the Balto movie, the, I'm gonna say Goose, says all he is is what he's not. And that's, that's Spock's whole thing. He's drawn between two worlds, two halves of himself that he doesn't know how to uh, coincide within himself. It's a, it's a war of identities wherein both halves of yourself are telling you that at some point of your racial identity doesn't get to make sense. I can't help but feel like this character should in some ways be paralleled with Spock in a way I haven't figured out yet. But also, now that I'm talking about mixed kid feels and Star Trek, I get to talk about my mom, who has a fun Star Trek story that I teased at the beginning of our Star Trek trilogy. But one time, South Bend, Indiana, used to have a pretty sizable Star Trek convention. And the actor who played Commander Riker, whose name I, just like my mother, could not remember, and my mom saw him walking past, and when she was so excited, just started running full force at him, not shrieking his name, but just going, Commander Riker, Commander Riker, and waving her hands up in the air until Commander Riker's security team stepped in front of my mom and Commander Riker, but he gave her a nod and a wink, because he's fucking Commander Riker, and that's a story my mom's had for her whole life. It's Jonathan Frakes, by the way. Yeah, so Commander Riker. Frakes. Okay, yeah. I love that. That is that is so beautiful of your mom. Uh, just start running towards Jonathan Frakes on the street. <laughs> just, just yelling, Commander Riker. I gotta come up with a name and a look. I think that our character is wearing like a homemade, like. Like not a un not a Starfleet uniform exactly. A giant sash, a giant homemade sash that says "I'm the ambassador. I'm an important man." Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You get like the like like they're wearing not like would it be what what color shirt would would ambassador be? Would that be a, a red shirt sort of a situation? Gold. Uh, what co what color? Oh, if they were like a part of Starfleet, yeah, that would definitely be uh, red for like command. Yeah. So, uh, so they're not wearing um, uh, a, a red Starfleet shirt. They're just wearing a red shirt. 
because they're they're trying to get taken seriously, but they don't have access to the actual equipment. Can he be voiced by the guy who played Dipper Pines? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that works. I'm into that. Uh, I've been trying to come up with a name, uh, kind of springboarding off of Devin's idea of him being tied to Spock. And the only way I know how is to generate a Kingdom Hearts name based on uh, what he would be as a nobody. So I'm just trying to like smash together X and Spock, which is a lot harder than you think. Uh, so far I've so got... You make it Spock in reverse and you put an X in the middle of it. Zeops. <laughs> Zeops. <laughs> please spell that for me in the chat. <laughs> kind of like that. Zeops it is. <laughs> what a ridiculous way of getting to a name. Zeops. Zeops, the child Romulan ambassador. All right, do we feel I personally like what what else what else do we need to feel complete? I'm feeling pretty good already. But we could add a little bit more. I think uh... I'd like to know what ways he relates to some lower decks characters. Yeah. We'll see here. I mean, it wouldn't be unheard of for, like, these characters to have to just, like, deal with this kid if he's running around the ship. You know, we could go for the classic, um, they're his escort, or he's making a muck of things. None of our characters are Romulan. So I think more so what I want answered is... He gets his big episode moment where it's like it's not a bit. It's not just that he's a kid, but he he believes in something earnestly in his heart. He believes that being passionate is not a negative. And if just more people got to know Romulan the way he does, he feels like he could make a, a net positive. And what is Starfleet but trying to make a net positive in the universe? I want to know which member he makes that speech to. And, like, that's the moment that character's like, oh, this isn't just, like, a kid. Oh. Oh, yeah. I, I think um, one of the main characters is really suspicious of him throughout the whole episode. You know, thinking that it's, like, a Romulan plot. Um, you know, and just uh, is maybe trying to curb that emotional side. Maybe he, like, makes that speech to Mariner. You know, because she uh, is... She's this very kick first, ask questions later kind of character. She's like our Kirk-alike, so that could be fun. I think it's interesting if it's the Orion girl, because there's something in like the well, you're the proof of concept. You you changed the uh, cultural understanding of what Orions are by being a member of Star Trek. Why can't I do it? Ooh. That's a cool idea. Yeah, I really like that. That um, Tendi is uh, initially... I'm having trouble relating it to, like, our themes of emotion being their whole thing. I'm going to say a lot of words that focus on me zooming in on from the bottom up on characters, and I'm going to see where we end by the end of it. But remember that speech in Andor? Which speech from Andor? Because they're all the best speeches you've ever heard in your life. But the one specifically about the kid's manifesto where it's like, fascism is not the natural order of things and you know that based on how hard fascists have to fight to keep the things that the, to keep the structures they want in place in place like it is self-evident by how hard they have to work i think this kid is speaking something like that because romulans do come from like 
a military dictatorship. But that's not, like, the natural order of things. And, like, the fact that he's passionate stems from that, right? The fact that they didn't assuage emotions. And so, like, the, the natural state of things should not be this, like, military dictatorship he sees in his home. And he sees Star Trek... He sees the the Enterprise, the, the all that shit. There's passion in wanting to explore and help people that should be more in line with what he thinks Romulans could be. And this is why he wants to marry the two things so hard. Because he sees, like, the perfect amalgamation of what his people and Starfleet could be. And he is going to make it happen come hell or high water, even though he's 12. Fuck yeah, Zeops. Oh my god, thank you, Zeops, for saving Starfleet. You did it, Z. I, you're best. You're best, Zeox. You funny little child voiced by grown man Dipper Pines. <laughs> thank you, Zeops, for ending racism and fascism. The race war ends now. <laughs> or for at least being like the person on board who most believes that it can be ended, you know? Oh, definitely. Are we ready for the place in the show where I ship it would go if we were doing I ship it this episode, which we're not? Yeah, yep, it's another episode where we <laughs> made a child, so we don't do I ship it. Well, sometimes it's fun to make a child character. I would like to suggest something. Uh, we haven't given them an item from Chekhov's random list of bullshit. Oh my god, you're so right. We haven't given them an item from Chekhov's list of random bullshit. And I had an idea. Um, what if we give them a Thank magic you. ring? Because, um, according to Arthur C. Clarke, any science advanced enough is indistinguishable from magic. And let's be real, Star Trek is a goofy-ass series where literal gods have talked to people in their brains. And then also, like, energy creatures can just create shit out of thin air. This is magic. I mean, John Delancey's just a fucking dandy space god. You're goddamn right he is, and he's so beautiful. So a magic ring for our child... My question, Magic Ring, for sake of Star Trek goofs, I would want to know, what does it do? What's the plot function or running gag with the Magic Ring? Right, so the thing about Star Trek is that they can do so much and they can explain it away with like technology that I think we have to go really fucking goofy for this. What I think we do is, because they're an ambassador, we give them something like Matisse Ring from Captain Planet, where it can, he's got like... A heart ring? The heart ring. The most no, powerful he's, ring. He's, he, he's got the empathy gun from Hitchhiker's Guide, but it's the ring. Exactly. Exactly. He just hits you with his heart waves, and it's like, oh, you, you see things my way now. How did he... <laughs> How does he end up with such a device? Why is he the only one who has one? Also, if he has empathy ring, how does he not just, like, win? You know? <laughs> like, like, the barrier to entry to understanding you, you, to two people understanding each other, he can just eliminate? I mean, my first, like, cynical reaction is because it's Star Trek and, like, there's a trillion weird planets out there with their own little, like, gods. Literally, somebody becomes a god every other, uh, 
week in Starfleet because of just how fucking goofy this universe is at its core. Um, my my story writing instinct is telling me, you're right. This kid would just take over the universe and has created light, or and that's that's too powerful. So what can they do in Starfleet? Maybe it's like maybe it's like some kind of teleporter. Like this kid, uh, it it's some kind of like teleport lock that he uses in. Con- no, he's a ch- he's a child. He doesn't have a lot of resources. Magic ring. Maybe it's stupid. Maybe it just creates sparkles. I mean, I think that there is something to like, like like there's a, a, a an interesting potential plot hook in in like like a Romulan child who no longer lives with the Romulans who has this, like, magic piece of extremely advanced technology. Um, like, you either do the thing where it's like, okay, he's an orphan, we don't know what his what the deal with his heritage is, but they left him with this magic ring that has, like, makes people have, like, empathy that makes people give a shit. And in that case, it's like, oh my god, what's the deal with his parentage that he has such an item and we don't know about it? Or you make it, like, Something where, uh, uh, when he left the Romulans, which maybe he did very young, he, like, took the ring with him. Like, he swiped it at, like, five years old, um, and left and took the ring with him. And he, it's, it's there because he stole it. Because he knew that stealing it from the Romulans was the right thing to do. Like, either of those give, give him an interesting direction to go. Or a third thing, it could also be. I think I like the stole item. And here's my idea for what literal plot function, because I could be wrong, but if memory serves, the, like, military advancement that makes Romulans a threat is that their ships are able to cloak in a way that you can't detect. And what if they found a way to translate that to, like, an individual person? So, like, it's functionally a ring of invisibility. Oh, my God, that's so good. And it was so the good. prototype. So he had to steal it because he's like, I can't let my people as they exist now have that let me get a chance to make some bridges and i'm gonna have this invisit and that and that also services like why wouldn't they just like all right kid you're that's why they can't take in- it from him yeah that, that's why they can't get him off the ship he, he sometimes puts on the one ring of he's, power he's, he's bilbo the, baggins in he's this got motherfucker the ring and then that's like a way that he's like functionally useful that's a thing he can do during episodes Damn, that's that's fucking genius. That's really good. We pulled it out, team. I like this a lot. That really came together for me. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a that's a moment when Chekhov's bullshit really really added to this character a lot for me. Hell yeah! Yeah, shout out Chekhov's bullshit. Whoever had that idea uh, is is so smart, and I want to kiss them sloppy style in the mouth. Oh, you're gonna kiss him sloppy style in the mouth? I bet whoever came up with that idea likes TTRPGs and likes to tell you that TTRPG making is a small space. I don't think I've said it that many times. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're exaggerating on this one. So, Um, with all that said, are we at, what is it, like... One fun fact apiece, I think. Yeah. I think there's a running joke um, on on the show where he's... um, he exhibits a lot of like cat-like behaviors, um, uh, where like he 
He'll, like, end up in, like, high places that are difficult to get to. He will, like, knock things off of shelves and stuff just because they're there. Because, like, like he just sort of like an always underfoot sort of a situation. Um, and it's kind of just played as a joke the whole time. I love that. Just a little cat Vulcan kid crawling around the ship. Little Romulan cat boy. Oh, um, I got an idea. Uh, I think that because they were raised by like it, we said like humans for the uh for Z uh Ops. Um so maybe they're really into an earth band. So I think they're really into you know what, Ghost. They're really into the, the band Ghost, because I like Ghost. Okay, so every fun fact I was coming up with just kept reinforcing, like, making this kid dipper again. So I wanted to get away from that. I think this child is actually quite adept at hand-to-hand combat. Like, not a black belt or anything, but can hold his own more than at least half of the main cast of Lower Decks. Which is fun because he's so unassuming. And that, ladies, gentlemen, and others, is an episode of original podcast Do Not Steal. I do believe you're right. Would you like to plug your pluggables? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Y'all can find me at um, x.com as... Uh, at grinning Isaac 95 I don't know I don't really make anything anymore right now but I recently changed my name my profile picture and my header to something funny that only I'm really gonna get so come on over and see that <laughs> um, thank you all for joining us my name has been Amber Autumn she her it has been Prince Devin, he, him. Our theme music is by Kyle Alicia, whose work you can find at hollowrib.bandcamp.com. Um, uh, uh, please feel free to uh, give us a like, give us five stars uh, as a review, give us a comment, share it with your friend, um, uh, uh, talk about it on the morning news, um, wish it upon a star, write a link down and throw it in a bottle and throw the bottle out to sea. Um... Uh, wish for more podcast episodes uh, and put the wish under your pillow for the Tooth Fairy. You really um, couldn't and, think of a thing that, to, that we're selling at the merch store, huh? And, <laughs> and head by our merch store um, where we will be selling a, a long, an ongoing series of uh, fantasy novels by R.A. Salvatore. <laughs> and speaking of fantasy that shit's my favorite genre so it sounds rife for whatever we could be talking about next week but the one thing but that's up in the air but the one thing i know we definitely won't be talking about next week is gem and the holograms amber what will we actually be talking about next week um this was your episode choice um next week uh if i have the schedule correct we should be talking about but i'm a cheerleader Ooh, that's gonna be fun. Um, so I'll we'll 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 see you then for some uh deeply heterosexual straight uh, things. Thank you all for joining us for Star Trek uh, series. Uh, space goodbye. <laughs> space goodbye, human. Live long and prosper.